It's science. Huh? With a girl. What? It's science with a girl. Hi. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to It's Science with a Girl. My name is Stacy, and I'm, today I have a boy with me. I'm Max. I'm a boy. He is the resident boy, and this is our first podcast, Max. Yes, it is. Um, so basically, from the title, I'm sure you guys all can tell that we're going to talk to you about science. So a little bit of background about myself is I am a scientist, a real... Real actual scientist. <laughs> she wears a lab coat. She works with like Petri dishes and Bunsen burners and all That's of it, that. really. And, and just, just so those are the main ones that you need. And Max is a real life boy. I'm a real life boy. Um, who's he, not a scientist. No, he doesn't work with Petri dishes and Bunsen burners, but he does have a keen interest of science. In science. In science. <laughs> I took English. He took English. There you go. So pretty much the like, right people to talk science with you, I think. Yeah. So Stacy actually does science and I enjoy like, I enjoy the finished product of science. I enjoy it being delivered to me. I don't, I don't enjoy the work that goes into it. I enjoy watching, you know, a wildlife documentary on Netflix and feeling like I know everything. Whereas Stacy actually does the real work that scientists do. So to begin, we're actually going to just talk to you about things we're interested in when it comes to the world of science. Max likes to go on Reddit. He's going to find some articles and he's going to bring them to me and we're hopefully going to flush them out a little bit, talk a little bit of, you know, whether or not the papers are any good, safe to talk about if they're uh, if they're reputable science and just shoot the shit about some some stuff we see on Reddit, really. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and what's on Reddit this week? All over Reddit? Coronavirus. Coronavirus. I know at this point, you guys have probably read all of the papers and are probably experts at this point. I mean... I'm an expert. I watched a Kurskis that video. My mom so thinks she's an expert. My an dad. Expert. Um, his grandmother. So uh, why not jump on the bandwagon and uh, talk about coronavirus as well? Mm, yes. Um, so... To begin, just to kind of, you know, get the ball rolling. What is coronavirus, Max? Coronavirus is why there's no toilet paper in the store anymore. That's it. <laughs> we can stop the podcast. That's, that's yeah, the end of the story. That's why. If you were wondering why there's no toilet paper, that's why. No, so, okay. So, as Massive far as I know, idea. as far as I know, and I feel like I know more about this than, like, pretty much any disease right now, just because it's everywhere. Yeah. But, um, so, it's, I thought it was a flu. Actually, apparently it's not the flu. It's a different thing. It's, well done. It's related to SARS, which was in like the early 2000s. Yeah. If you guys all remember that, I mean, de I definitely was yeah. impacted by it. It was a teenager. So, yeah. So basically it's a virus that attacks um, primarily your lungs. and It's a respiratory for, infection. It's a respiratory infection. Yeah. And it's, for most people, Stacey and I are both in our early 30s. And so for us, if we uh, get it, it's probably not a very big deal. Yeah. Like we're going to be a little bit sick. Um, and then we're going to get better. We're, or it but, may even be like asymptomatic, so we may not even get Yeah, sick. that's the new thing. It could be like totally asymptomatic. So what that means... means that like yeah. you, don't, you're, you don't seem sick. Yeah, you have no symptoms, right? Yeah. But researchers are starting to look into whether or not you can transmit it or spread it mm -hmm. when you don't show any symptoms. So just to like get a little bit of what that means is basically for this virus, we think that... You, you can transmit it and you're shedding the virus, which means you're passing it on. It's, you know, um, 
can infect other people within 24 to 48 hours. That's the, the most likely period where you can mm-hmm. pass it on. That's what they said based on the SARS yeah. research. And the main thing about this is it's just really, really, it can be really deadly if you have underlying issues, right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, too, we're also finding out that it may not just be if you have underlying issues. It could just, mm. it could be you're actually genetically predisposed to having a milder version of this. Oh, really? Or a more severe version of this based on how your body reacts to certain infectious diseases. There was a paper I that just came out that. in Nature about it. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, it was by a Chinese author and it had just come out recently, March 1st about having a, a predisposition to uh, different infectious diseases, including SARS-CoV-2. That's what they were oh, specifically speaking of. Oh, wow, that's kind of scary, actually. Totally. So basically, in terms of numbers, Max, how many people do you think are currently infected around the whole entire world with COVID-19? Right. Like, why has the world stopped? How many people are infected? Oh, why do we I care? Don't... Oh, God, I don't know. Like, it, that's the thing is it changes so often. That, so like, often, like every I read, day. <laughs> yeah, like, I read, like, whatever what it was, like, 25,000 or something, like, last week, but that's totally different now. So so globally there's well last I checked which was on March 22nd or March 23rd there was over 250,000 cases around the world with 11,000 deaths. Oh my god, really? Um and in Canada specifically when I last checked 2 days ago it was like 2,000 Canadians infected with like I don't know. Uh, how well, there many? was like a thousand in Quebec in one Just day. Just the other night. So then I went back and I checked the uh, uh, the government website for Canada. And I found out there's how many today? 4,000 people that are currently infected. Total, not just today. Yeah, Yeah. not just today. The total. So within one day, it went up 1,000 people. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's totally crazy. Um, we've have so far that I've noticed it's been around twenty deaths in Canada. Yeah. Um, and this the stat was from March twenty second, so I'm sure it's changed since we've doubled the amount of people that have died. But basically, we are um. We, we, we are, it seems like we're kind of mitigating the number of deaths in Canada, but it could just be because we have less people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's the stats for, for Canada. Um, yeah, so when it comes to numbers, that's where we're at globally and in Canada. But let's talk more about the infection itself. Like, do you know anything about how the, like, how do we get sick? Like, what is it that makes it so infectious that we're tell that everyone has to stay home? Well, uh, so. All I've un- I've what I've heard is that it's more contagious than stuff like the flu and, and the cold and the cold. Yeah. But um, I don't I know. I don't really know what that means. So like, so like I like I know like it, obviously it means it'll you'll infect more people. Yeah. But like I don't know what about it. Like why that is. I've heard the the one thing I've heard is that it can live on uh, surfaces like um, plastic and metal and cardboard stuff like that for like a lot longer yeah, than yeah. those viruses. So there's actually a study that was published again by a Chinese author um, who specifically looked at uh, COVID-19 to see how long it lives for in the air. So that's aerosols, aerosolic transmission. And the reason that that matters is SARS was actually transmitted by the air in a lower percentage of cases, but they actually found fecal matter, which was aerosolized, so it turned into air particles that actually spread to like a hotel right above this garden and to the surrounding buildings. So the author went back and just like, okay, so the author of this current study for COVID-19 specifically is like, can this virus live in the air? 
and they found out they can live in the air for greater than three hours. So three hours and more. Okay. Aerosolized. And it can live on copper for four hours, carpet for 24 hours, steel for 20, uh, uh, steel for up to three days, and plastic for up to three days, two to three days. So, but that, like, that's the thing. Like, if, but then, if yeah. you cough into the air, like, it's not just going to stay in the air. Like, eventually won't kind of gravity pull it down. What about, or... what about wind? I don't know. Like... Maybe so they they tell us to observe like a two meter. <laughs> they tell us. Sorry, I'm just really hot, guys. It's, okay, they tell us to observe a two meter distance from people, and like the initial stats were like, oh, if you're speaking face to face with some initial recommendations, right? Is if you're speaking face to face with somebody who's infected or maybe not, you know, you should get tested or self quarantine for 14 days. And now they're saying, you know, stay two meters away from people, and it's because of this. Fear that the, vi- the virus particles can live in the air right. for for you know an indefinite amount. So of you time. can just be walking down the street and inhaling the air and getting infected. Well, it can live for up for three hours, so I don't see why. But not. okay, but th- that's the thing is like this if, is in vitro study, so this is done in a lab, so we don't know. Yeah, but that's you the thing. Like I mean? if if you get that much, if you say inhale oh, right. it, so I know what you're getting. Like at. how how much so do you viral, need to actually get yeah. in you yeah. to get infected? So there, so basically, fomite. So it's called fomite transmission when it's from surfaces, like mm-hmm. living viruses on surfaces being transmitted to you. The viral load in these things probably aren't as high than someone who's like super rampant with a virus infection. Right. Do you know what I mean? So there's probably less of the virus on a surface than there is in a bo- in a body. Yeah. So how much of that does or does that change from person to person? Like the viral load. Yeah. Like so that's say, called the viral load. Okay. So the viral load. Like if I it totally in, changes from person to person. If I inhale, how they are. okay. So like if I inhale a little bit, You're it gets stuck in my you know like little little nose hairs. Oh, totally. So so now we're talking. Now we've moved on from transmission. We're talking about the actual infection itself, right? Mm-hmm. So so Max was talking about um, the cilia that lines your nasal cavity it's in your nose and you also have cilia in your trachea you have cilia in your lungs and basically the cilia stops particles from getting into your body um but in this case this virus works a bit differently Mm -hmm. so the way that it infects you is it's a virus so it's not living right it uses your cells your host so uses the host cell so your cells um machinery in order to replicate so there's actually um a molecule in our body and in other mammals called the ACE2 um, receptor, or it's an enzyme. And it basically is stands for angiotensin converting enzyme 2. And it um, has homology. When I say homology, it basically has a similar function to something called ACE, angiotensin converting enzyme. And essentially, that's super important when it comes to controlling your blood pressure, as well as your salt fluid balance. <laughs> your salt fluid balance. Um, so they're saying that this a receptor, this enzyme, okay. is what the virus bonds to in mammals. So, but like, is that in our lungs then? Because it infects So it's lungs. actually a good, really good question. So basically they found it based on the SARS infection. They found it in kidneys, uh, lungs, um, and in multiple places in the body from doing PCR of people who had been infected with the SARS infection. But we know it to be in vascular endothelial cells. So it lines, so these cells line your blood vessels. They line your renal tubule cells, and they line. They're also in the Leydig cells in your testes. Uh, that's where where we know it to be. But it's we found it based on the SARS infection to be in your lungs as well. Okay, so primarily, so you can be infected in different parts of your body. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, the reason that it's such a, we term it as a respiratory infection is because it's 
Um, when we diagnose this, we look at your upper and re lower respiratory tracts, sputum samples, uh, nasopharyngeal swabs um, to diagnose this because that's where you find it primarily. And when it comes to like um, infection and immune response, um, the way it works is the virus binds to this ACE2 enzyme. Mm. And the way that it binds is there is this, um, it's called a serine protease. So basically there's this, there's this molecule that needs to cut or cleave the virus, one of the proteins, a structural proteins on the virus. So there's four different structural proteins on the virus. And the one you need to most worry about or think about is the S protein, which is the spike protein. And when you see all these pictures of the viruses, Max, what stands up the most? What do you see? When you see like the picture of yeah. the virus? Well, it has those little like spikes that... Like projections, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so little, it's the, like thousands of little like feet that come off of it, right? Totally, and that's what we um, that the virus uses for attachment into this host cell. That's what it uses for entry. So attachment and entry. So once the serine protease cuts the um, S protein, the spike protein, this is called um, S priming, and mm -hmm. that will allow it to bind to the host. That'll allow it to bind. And this is really important when we talk about treatments because this is that pro certain protease is actually being looked at as something, a, vax, a target for drugs to inhibit the action of that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Okay. That's, that's yeah. So. Oh, that's. And like, also to inhibit the action of ACE too as well uh, for so, drug targets. So because, so like, um, so just, sorry. Just to prevent so, entry, yeah. So trying to understand that. Yeah. So what you're saying is because it binds to a certain gene in your body. But it binds to a certain enzyme in your body. A certain enzyme in your body. Yeah. Um, you, An enzyme that's important for The drug that you take you're the, to treat it will like... Target that host cell. Yeah. So it'll like reduce the amount of that enzyme in your body or... Uh, basically, they're targeting it so it can no longer... Prop I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it's probably to inhibit the activity of that enzyme so the, the virus will have nothing to bind to. Or to inhibit the the activity of that cleaving enzyme, the cleaving serine protease yeah. to inhibit um, entry into the of the virus into the cell. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. it, it's like it's... Um... So whatever it but like binds to, whatever it's attracted to... Let's cut it out of the equation. It, well, it's like because uh, when I had to, when I've had to take biology before, and like I took psychology, so I take mm -hmm. biology, and the way they describe stuff like that is like it's like a lock and key. One hundred percent. So that's so, such a good thing. So this is an enzyme. The whole has, cell it, is an enzyme. Excuse me. It, ha <laughs> it has it has like a specific lock or a specific key, so, and so what we want to do is take away its lock. Right. So the enzyme binds to something called angiotensin two, which is important for the regulation of the blood. Um, the, the it's called the the way it regulates blood pressure in humans mm -hmm. is through the renin angiotensin system. Yeah. So, but anyways, I say all this to say that this lock and key you're thinking about, the key, the enzyme is ACE two. The lock is the substrate angiotensin two. Okay. So that's the lock and key model that you're thinking about. The virus just interferes with it. <coughs> oh. Okay. Yeah. So the virus is just binding to the enzyme that's part of that lock and key with the angiotensin two, because that's the substrate. So, and so sorry, what's substrate? It's just, you know how you're talking about a lock and key? That's an yeah. analogy for substrate and enzyme. Oh, okay. It's the thing that the enzyme acts on because enzymes are catalysts. This has nothing to do with <clears throat> the COVID infection itself, but this is just to understand biology a little bit better, to, to understand your analogy a bit better. When you're okay. talking about lock and key, it wasn't to do with the virus. It's to do with the ACE2 enzyme, host cell mm -hmm. for the virus, and the, the lock 
is the substrate, which is angiotensin 2, which is important in the regulating blood pressure in your body. So that's uh, why people, there's actually a lot of uh, talk and chat about uh, how COVID-19 affects blood pressure because it's directly affecting a cell that's important for regulating blood pressure in the human body. Okay, so could you use like blood pressure medication to fight it? I'm or not is that sure. just like the symptom? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm actually not sure. There hasn't been any studies done on this that I've read. Okay. And I think it's still something in the air for scientists to uh, be researching right now. Um, something that I wanted to us to go back to a little bit <coughs> was, do you know where this virus came from? China, right? Wuhan? Right, but like... Did it was it from humans? Like, what's the origin of the virus? Oh, because I think um, it's really interesting to talk about. Well, though, I don't know because I keep I keep hearing different things. Like, I've yeah. heard I've heard so bat. Clear and it up. I've heard pangolin. Yeah, let's clear it up. And I've heard civet cat as well. If you've heard about the oh civet yeah 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 yeah, no, so I remember that because the, the civet cats are, yeah. the, are the ones that they like poop eat coffee. coffee beans and they poop them out and then you make the coffee out of the poop beans. Yeah, it's poop and, coffee. And it's poop coffee. Um, the poop coffee cat. So basically, the origins of this and SARS, the first SARS, and MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory um, Syndrome that happened in uh, the 2000s as well, is all from bat origin. They're all coronaviruses that were from bat that somehow had cross-species transmissions into us. So, so yeah. both then why do we keep hearing about civet cats and um, Really good question. Pangolins? So basically, in, in uh, Wuhan, there was this market called Hunan, and I keep getting very confused with pronunciation, so I'm sorry if I butchered it. But basically, this market is termed a Hunan seafood market, but it actually had a, a lot of wild exotic animals like the pangolin, like the civet cat, okay. and bats. So basically what they say is there's an animal reservoir for this virus <clears throat> uh, that started in bats but had cross-species transmission into a secondary um, a secondary origin. So that could be the civet cat, that could be pangolin. And every time the species, the the virus goes to other species, there's something called homol homologous recombination events that happen. So what happens is the virus is basically changing or mutating every single time it changes species. And they say that the reason it does this and it's able to change or to go into different species is because, you know, that spike protein we were talking about? Mm -hmm. Apparently, there's the mutation happens in the spike protein that allows cross-species transmission. So they also... On, on, the, on the, the spike, because that's the, the part that, that like sticks attachment. into the cell, right? So that's the chat okay. right now. And they also say that... They also say that um, the... Uh, the Every time it crosses species, different mutations happen. So it's going between bat, pangolin, bat, Civet cat, bat, human, different um, strains are evolving. Mm -hmm. um, so just to also like go back to all of this, this is an RNA virus. Do you know what I mean by that? Well, I know that, well, I, I, not really. I know what RNA is and I know that it's different from DNA because it's- What's it, the difference? Uh, well, I know the DNA is double strand and has like, it has like base pairs. Like um, nucleotides, a, yeah, yeah like they bind, like the little ladders that bind them together so are like a it's and double and stranded. Yeah. So there is that ladder. Yeah, but yeah. RNA is single stranded. Correct. And that's all I know. So it's single stranded. It has a different sugar, ribose versus deoxyribose, that's in DNA. And RNA is important for it takes the genetic information and from the uh, whatever uh, from the nucleus, and it's able to make proteins. Um, with that genetic information, whilst DNA has the genetic information, long-term storage genetic information for everything, for every cell in your body, um, to make new life. That's what DNA is for, but RNA specifically makes proteins. It's responsible for the genetic information for protein making. Okay. 
I say all this to say that an RNA virus is typically around 10 kilobases. So this is the genome. We're talking about the genetic make, um, material of an RNA virus. It's about 10 kilobases. This specific virus, the coronavirus, is 30. And the reason I'm saying this and the reason why people should care is um, this RNA virus is super big and it actually has a very pretty, it has a substantial mutation rate. So the reason we need so it to, mutates fast is what you're saying. Within a year, there's about ten to the minus so four. Are, so do all RNA viruses mutate faster than normal? That faster than DNA viruses. Oh, okay. That's why we should care, and that's why, like, so basically, if all the so there's over thirty companies looking at drug targets right now, and four of them are actually doing animal models, and human challenges are actually happening too. Okay. And, and two two are actually happening in China for this drug called Remdesivir, which we're going to talk about in just one second. Mm. But the mutation rate's so high that a target could change the next year. So we need to come up with something now because next year it could be different because right. the, the, okay. the virus is always mutating. Yeah, okay. Which is, I think is something to note and something people don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so back to treatment and remdesivir. So we talked about targeting the host cell receptor itself and inhibiting the activity of that. We, that, that was the, um, the enzyme you were talking about. Yeah, the ACE the ACE two inhibitor and also serine protease inhibitors. Okay, what what's the enzyme? ACE two. Oh, ACE two is the enzyme. The host cell, and it's also an enzyme. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's it's the cell, but it it is an enzyme. All right. Um, so the second thing that I want to talk about is um something that so in terms of short term in terms of short term uh treatments, we can actually administer people with antibodies from people who have been sick and are recovering. Mm-hmm. And this will help frontline health workers to get better, or if they've been exposed, this will prevent them from getting sick, so they can still do their job. And it's immediate. We just, oh. yeah, we just need to make sure they have enough antibodies in the serum that they're given in order to fight an infection if there is one. That sounds good. Yeah, and this is this is <clears throat> prophylaxis. This is pre-treatment. Oh well, let's just do that. Why are we doing that now? Let's go get some. Just having the facilities so we can take people's blood, check it for the right antibody levels, check it for the right antibodies, screen it to make sure there's not any other infections, screen it to make sure that people are going to be getting clean um, blood products. It's a whole thing that basically health systems are not designed for yet. Mm. So it needs to, it's it's an effort, but it's an immediate thing we can do now. So, but speaking of something more. Well, so, so just, so just so uh, I understand. Passive antibody therapy. Okay, so as somebody that's just basically consuming news at this point and yeah. getting, you know, it's really easy to like this get scared. This is kind scared. of overwhelming. Well, no, no, it's like what I'm asking is like it's kind of easy to get scared and stuff. So what you're saying is like, no, they they are actually working on some really like oh, dude, viable so options. So many, but there's like a lot of things that exist already that we're going back to because during SARS and during MERS, people are creating vaccines, but we stopped it because the virus was contained. Okay. Not a lot of people got as infected as we are now mm-hmm. with COVID-19, and it was contained. Additionally, um, th- there's so many treatments. Like, there's even, like, herbal medicines in China that could actually work because they target different... So when you have a lung infection as a result of... Or lung inflammation or lung damage as a result of this, mm-hmm. some Chinese herbs are able to actually relieve those symptoms and help with... So that actually works? It actually, it, it's actually a viable option. Really? Um, yeah, because there's something called a lipid polysaccharide, mm. um, which it can target and um, help with tissue damage. So there oh. are actually things that, if you just go back to like things that we already have been using, it can actually like help alleviate symptoms. Because right now people are just using supportive care, 
which means say you have a bacterial infection because your body's working so hard to fight this virus and then you end up with bacterial pneumonia because you have no many like no more fight in you no yeah, more because un- your lungs are like destroyed and your really immune cells infection. are just already so you know used up and infected right, and okay. you're exhausted and then you get this bacterial infection which is an opportunistic infection mm-hmm. you can get some antibiotics to treat that um but yeah so so we also have something called remdesivir which is a nucleoside inhibitor. I know you have no idea what that means, but basically when we had the Ebola um, Ebola outbreak that happened oh, yeah, in like... 2016, this was something that uh, a company called Gilead Science, Gilead Science was, um, was trying to uh, bring to market. It's not approved as an antiviral drug yet, but it's so promising because as we were talking about before, RNA is a single-stranded, it's single-stranded. So in order to make a complementary strand for itself, it uses something called RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. Basically, all I'm saying is it makes more of itself. So the virus enters you through that host cell we were talking about, and all it wants to do is make more of itself and spread. So mm. get freed from your cell, break out of your cell, and spread to more cells, thereby you know spreading the infection. That's all it wants to do. So it needs right. to make more of itself, right? And it does this with this RNA. I mean, the RNA polymerase dependent RNA, sorry, RNA dependent RNA polymerase, (laughs) RDRP. Not not the catchiest name. Not the catchiest name. Really hard to even remember and say, but it's RDRP. There you go. To make more of itself. That's all you need to take away from this. There is remdesivir that comes in and it's just like, oh, you want to make more of yourself? Well, I'm going to slow you down. And the way that it does it, it confuses the virus. So basically there's proofreading in all all like creatures that make more of itself, make more genetic material, there's proofreading that happens, like spell check. So when it's spell checking, there's um, the broken down or metabolized remdesivir that looks just like a product that the RNA needs in order to finish making more, R- the virus needs to make more RNA. Mm-hmm. So during RNA synthesis, there's broken down or metabolized remdesivir, and then there's the thing that it actually needs in your cell. Um, it gets confused, doesn't know what to do, so it slows down the production of more RNA for okay. the virus. And uh, that's become critical when it comes to clearing infections, then when it comes to slowing it down, and basically saving lives. Okay. And this has been seen when it comes to when they were doing Ebola studies in, um, unfortunately, they use animal models in science in order to prove proof of concept, you know, to prove that some, um, it works prior to putting it in humans. Um, for clinical trials. So they've basically uh, saw it in Reyes macaque monkeys that it um, negated mortality. Um, so people, uh, monkeys weren't dying when they were infected with Ebola because of this drug. Um, and they also found in mice models for MERS and for uh, SARS and for COVID-19, they found that it actually repairs tissues, uh, lung tissue, and it, again, reduces the viral load. Um which is so important for clearing the infection because then your immune cells can help. You know what I mean? Okay. So oh, it's so really promising. So, and that's from Desivir. That's from Desivir. Okay. And then also now in two places in China, um, there's clinical trials. There's clinical trials happening right now where they're testing the efficacy in humans. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and this right? is in over two, um, over four, 300 people per study, and there's two clinical trials happening right now. Okay. So there's a lot of things that are happening. There's over 30 companies, as I said, looking into this, and uh, we're well on our way to 
containing this and dealing with it. But what can you personally do as a human being? I'm sure everyone's like at home self-isolating, which is really awesome. But what else? Like, what are people doing? What well, are you doing? I, I know you're supposed to wash your hands a lot. For how um, long? Uh, sing happy birthday, right? Mm-hmm. Sing happy birthday, wash That's your hands. 20 seconds. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, like, And soap is really important because the virus is made of this lipid envelope. Mm-hmm. So when you have soap, which is hydrophobic, and the the virus, it basically is going to wash away the virus. Um, so it's perfect. And uh, what else can you do? Just self-isolate, social distance. Um, and yeah, basically the government has been, especially the Canadian government, has been super instrumental in uh, giving such great information to us. You know, like wear a mask when you go out. Um, and yeah, I think everyone's doing a really great job and I think we should celebrate just how seriously where everyone's taking it, but hopefully this won't be a topic for much longer and we can, you know, move on with our lives. But yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully hopefully a month from now everything's normal again, but I mean, who knows? Who knows? We're going to actually take a break right here and move on to another topic, um, that doesn't have to deal with coronavirus anymore because I'm sure we're tired of talking about it and you're tired of listening about it. I'm over it, personally. I'm over it. <laughs> Me too. And I feel like we've probably absorbed all the information we're going to absorb for this. Yeah. So we're going to take a little break and be right back. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to part two of our first podcast. Yay. Alrighty, Max. So what, what are we going to talk about now? Well, I found this article on Reddit a little while ago and I forwarded it to Stacy because... I thought it was cool and asked if we could talk about it in the in the podcast. So it's from it's from the University of Texas and is bacteria engineered to protect bees from pests and pathogens. So I think genetic genetic engineering is really cool. I think bees are cool. I th- I'm like concerned that bees are dying off and everything, and that's a bad thing for us. Why is it a bad thing for us? Like uh, what are, what's the role of bees in, you know, in in terms of biodiversity, in terms of nature? Like, why do we care? Well, you know, they they pollinate. Yeah, they, they do the pollinating thing. <laughs> they, yeah, they're, they're really important in um, when it comes to pollination and agriculture, right? They are how flowers get it on. Okay, cool, man. Um, I mean, I wouldn't use those that's, words, but yeah, it's really important. That's because you're the scientist and I'm not. I mean, it's important for agriculture, and basically when you don't have bees, there's a huge economic burden and loss um, when it comes to one And, and uh, like envi- humans, right? an environmental loss because there's a lot of plants that rely, rely on, on bees. bees. You, know what's, you know what's cool that I learned, I learned a while ago is yeah. that before bees existed, there were no flowers. I had no idea. Back really? In the, yeah, back in like I mean, it dinosaurs, makes sense, doesn't it? It does, but you never think about that. Like back no. in the time of, of dinosaurs, no flowers. That's crazy. Also, no grass, but that has nothing to do with bees. That's insane. I, I mean, I, so I if, didn't know if that. If you travel back in time, seventy million years, you'd see no flowers and you'd see no grass. Cool. Okay, just before we carry on, I just want everyone to know I am a scientist, but I'm not a virologist, and we chose our first podcast to be on for viruses. Yeah. Uh, just because we're interested. Are you a biologist? <laughs> I'm neither of those things. Okay. I am a microbiologist and right. a biochemist. So anyway, the, the article that I wanted, that I thought was really interesting that I wanted yeah. to talk about was um, basically there's a, one of the reasons uh, bee colonies can fail is this entire 
disease called um it, it, what forget what what's it called deformed wing virus deformed wing virus yeah it's and a virus and it's... related to coronavirus because they're both RNA viruses and that's why we're both talking about it in the same podcast oh yeah we learned about that I learned about yeah <laughs> just now <laughs> um yeah so it it's basically this virus that causes the bees wings to just like it says get really deformed and become useless they can't fly anymore they have like these like stumpy little wings that are useless and like short appendages and like weirdly spherical abdomens well and and the rest of the colony will turn on them and kick them out out. like literally kick them out of the hive that's really cruel but you know what like they're they have a function well the hive has a function right it, it does make sense though because like they want to get rid of the infected bee. 100%. It's like a self-defense thing. They're so intelligent to know that, hey, you cannot infect the rest of the colony. Protect the queen at all costs, right? Yeah, oh, exactly. Because they, they function like a community, like a... They all have like roles. A, like, a, like a, what do you call it, a super organism, right? As opposed to like a bunch of individual organisms. Cool, yeah. That's how I understand it. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, <laughs> I've never phrased it like that, but I mean, yeah, I totally understand that. It makes sense to me. You should. It sounds cooler. Okay, so um, yeah, so basically it is another RNA virus and it's, so deformed wing virus is an RNA virus, but did you also read up about what does it need in order to infect the colony? Oh yeah, that was the other really cool thing. So it, the way it gets into the colony is these mites. Varroa mites. Yeah, varroa mites. Yeah, it took are, me a while to figure out how to pronounce they're like, that they're mite. They're parasites, they right? They are parasites. That like, they attach themselves to bees and like feed on bees feed on bees i don't know if they suck their blood do bees have blood they don't actually insects and arthropods and vertebrates don't have blood they have something called hemolymph hemolymph yeah so it's actually they don't have red blood cells they have like all the irons carbs glycerol uh nutrients whatever but they don't have red blood cells that's why it's not blood oh okay so but it's it's it surrounds the tissues it's circulated through the bees yeah so hemolymph sucking it sounds less cool but they, yeah. That's what they do. And they, I, I'm and, not sure if they suck blood or well, suck the hemolymph. They, uh, they actually, yeah, I'm not sure. Whatever. They attach themselves to bees and they eat the bees. <clears throat> and they weaken they, them. They, ca- they carry the virus with them the same way that like rats carried the plague in medieval Europe. Right? They're a vector. That's yeah. what you're trying to say. A vector. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they work synergistically, which means they work together with the deformed wing virus in order to infect and essentially just desecrate colonies yeah they have this Mm -hmm. uh, synergistic relationship um so how so okay we actually don't really know the mechanism in which like they infect the bees like we don't know if it's like the virus is replicating in the the mites or if it's replicating in the bees we're not actually really sure about that but we do know that it's transmitted and passed on to the like the rest of the bees in the hive through nurse bees that are feeding the brood like the babies oh so they get infected really young they could. They could be infecting the brood. They could be the queens who could actually be laying, um, like, infecting their eggs if oh. they're infected. Or the sperm can be infecting the, you know, um, the queen, which, do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's how it's transmitted. Um, yeah, which I thought was really, really interesting. And um, did you read anything about, like, how the Varroa mites, um, like, so basically they they feed on something called the fat bodies, of yeah, that sounds weird, right? Sounds like body shaming. Be body shaming. No, there's fat bodies that are in insects, and they're responsible for a lot of things. But one of the things they actually that's really cool, and we're going to talk more about this later, is um, so they're, they're responsible for like lipid storage, metabolism, um, but also 
has to do with the immune system of bees. And they actually house double-stranded RNA, um, which we'll talk a bit more about because this is like what the 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 study is is mainly dealing with double-stranded RNA. Did you read anything about double-stranded RNA? Did you understand no, is any it, of that? I, okay, but isn't RNA single-stranded? It wasn't double-stranded RNA just DNA? No, it's not. No. So, okay, so how does... Is it just two RNAs? Or what's that? It's just double-stranded RNA. Okay. Yeah, it's the complemented version of that single strand. Okay, well, let's... But I, I feel, I, I, I'm not too well versed, so I don't want to no, say. No, it's okay. I, I was I was about to say I feel like I've learned enough about RNA and DNA but, and everything. Today. But actually, it's super duper important. So you can talk a bit more about like the did you did you like read up about like the type of bacteria what they were doing or like we let's talk about it together because I like read the journal and I like well, it's so cool. Well, that's what I'm really interested in because all yeah. I all I read this and I think. It's, oh, cool! They're genetically engineering bacteria. Yeah. Okay. So the and bacteria. The bacteria fight the virus, and then yeah. I think, oh, that's really cool. And then you ask me, oh, how does that happen? What kind of bacteria? And I just kind of that's cool. Go that's, blank. <laughs> I read the paper, so I, I can provide some answers. So basically, the double-stranded DNA is super important for inducing um, the RNA interference in these bees. So RNA interference is in eukaryotes. So it's in, um, <clears throat> it's it's. So there's prokaryotes, which represent bacteria, um, and then there's eukaryotes, which represent me and you, which represent bugs, which represent or insects rather, um, and it's a different type of, of living organism. And um, with eukaryotes, they have this antiviral immune system, and that's um, be, that's RNA interference. Right. So you need the double-stranded RNA to induce this system, which essentially RNA interference is so cool. We're actually kind of going to be using it to to like. Um, artificially turn genes off. So basically what they're doing is turning genes off using RNA interference. It's silenced genes. It's silenced or knocks it down or weakens the expression of so genes. So like if you have Not a weakens, gene... but turns it down. So like in, in humans, for example, if we were able to do this with people, like you, if you have a gene that says like you're predisposed to Alzheimer's, say, you could turn that gene down. That's the idea. And then you're, the idea. you're less likely to develop Alzheimer's. That's the idea. So what That's they, super cool. Yeah, so what they're so the bacteria that they're using in this study, we'll talk a bit more about how this immune system works, but the bacteria, because there's so many, like, this study is so cool. It's in science. I recommend everybody read it if you're if you're interested. It's just such a cool um, piece of piece of work. Um, so basically the bacteria is a gut bacteria. So you know how we have a microbiome and we have lots yeah, of microbiomes I'm, I'm within like, our body. Do I'm you know like, what that is? Yeah, yeah. I'm like super interested in the whole microbiome thing. What is it? Um, so it, it's, it's basically what it, that sounds like. It's a bunch of bacteria and stuff that live inside of our gut. Like in our intestines and Well, not stomach. just our gut. It could be our mouth. It could be our vagina. It could be our skin. It could be our gut. It could be before different places, but what is a microbiome? Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's basically a tiny little ecosystem yeah. that lives inside of you. That, that work together. That works together, and it actually, we have this weird symbiotic relationship with them. Yes. And the reason I find it so interesting and cool is when I studied uh, psychology mm-hmm. in university, it was when a lot of this, um, re- this uh, research was just coming out. Oh, really? Yeah, and so they were talking a lot we at the time about... Probably. Um, about the um, impact of your microbiome on your psychology mm-hmm. and how it can actually, 
Like say, really, yeah. I'd be so interested to do a podcast no, on this. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it is, it's actually super interesting because if you, you know how like you'll be eating really healthy or something for a while and then it's Christmas and you just start eating like a whole bunch of oh potato chips. Yes. Yeah. Or say, yes, I do. Or say you're in quarantine <laughs> without a whole lot to do because there's a pandemic going on and you have a whole bunch of potato chips and frozen pierogies to eat. I don't know what you're talking you about. you eat those and it just gets easier and easier and you start to really want that and <sighs> kind of forget that maybe you should eat vegetables too. There's actually, my, there's there's different um, stuff that like the microbiome that is influenced by what you're eating and because it wants to live, it can actually apparently cause you to crave more of that food and influence your psychology that's insane to make you want to eat different things to support it okay guys next podcast or maybe future podcasts we're gonna we're gonna have a some some sort of story on this topic it's it's, cool and i'm interested it's really it's it's the same way like um certain strains of like flu or cold or something actually make you want to be more social see the thing is i okay i'm a scientist do not know anything about psychology don't know anything outside of my little science bubble that is like micro and biochemistry so i'm so interested let's find something and future podcasts i'm down let's do this i'm so interested i know nothing about this stuff yeah i love to talk about it i haven't looked at i haven't really looked at much of that stuff in like over 10 just years. fyi max uh, majored in psychology so he is pretty well versed in all of this well i was pretty well versed in it about 10 years ago he can become well versed again <laughs> <laughs> okay but just going back to this this paper so the bacteria that this the um the researchers were looking at was the gut bacteria from the bee and it was called i'm gonna butcher this but maybe not Snodgrassella alvi. So I'm just going to call it S. alvi. And basically, this is the bacteria they're using to genetically engineer to then put back in bees for it to colonize their gut all over again um, with their modifications, the genetically modified um, organisms. Do they have to do it to each individual bee? Well, okay. So such good questions. Basically, what they would do is they would genetically modify the bacteria. And there's... There's four different tests that they were looking at, four different things and aims that they were looking at, four different modifications. The first being that they wanted to see, hey, can we even recolonize the bee with their own gut microbacteria? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, they can. And the reason they were able to see that is they tacked on GFP, which is green fluorescent protein, onto this bacteria that they took out and then put back in. Do you know what green fluorescent protein is? Max should know because, like, my research for my PhD. That's, I was going to say, that's, like, <laughs> that's what you were working with, right? Yeah, I work with reporter proteins. Yeah, it, it's, it's from, it from jellyfish. Yeah. The bioluminescent jellyfish. Yeah. It is a protein that uh, bioluminescent jellyfish use to glow. Exactly. Well, it, I thought they used a bacteria inside them that was, like, a synergist bacteria. So, in this, well, what they did is they took... GFP and tacked it, so put it on a plasmid, and a plasmid is a mobile genetic element. So basically, when we want to genetically modify organisms, we have the luxury of putting this element, this thing that we can move around between bacteria, that bacteria move around um, between each other, but we can put all of the things that we want on it, like antibiotic resistance, like glowing proteins, like perhaps maybe something to replicate double-stranded RNA. Or something to produce, sorry, double-stranded RNA. Maybe something to produce or to recognize the genome of the deformed wing virus. Mm. Or maybe even uh, something to recognize the genome of Varroa mites. 
Yes, they did all of these things in this study, and I think it's a great study because wow. of that. Yeah, they did a lot of they did a lot of things. So first, th- first things first, can we recolonize the bee gut? Yes, they can. Second test, can we produce more double-stranded RNA? And you might be asking yourself, hey, why can't we just give them the bees our double-stranded RNA orally if we know that this is important for inducing the RNA interference, antivirus, immune system? Do you know why we wouldn't just give them orally? Hey, it seems way easier than creating mutant bacteria. I don't know why that does seem a lot easier. Right? RNA degrades in the environment. And it's hella expensive. Mm. So create bacteria that can make it for you. That's what they did. And then they tapped on the GFP so they could see what was going on and which bacteria had so these they're, changes. So they're basically custom making their own bacteria. They're customizing to bacteria produce what they want to, produce. to do work for them. 100%. And then your question was, hey, do we have to infect each bee one by one by one? No. The beauty of bacteria infections, or not infections, the beauty of bacteria is it colonizes more than one organism at the same time. Because it's alive and it reproduces and gets around. And it reproduces exponentially, so it reproduces a lot. So there's still a lot of research that needs to be done about whether or not this genetically engineered bacteria can, you know, infect, not infect, colonize the whole hive and protect them. But baby steps, we'll, we'll get there. Um, we still need to study the dynamics when it comes to, or they need to study the dynamics when it comes to transmission between hives. And, um, you know, they have to take, in, if they do this in, in the environment, they need to take into account biocontainment, safety precautions, and stuff like that. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So test number one, can they, recol- can they recolonize the gut with just, mm-hmm. you know, GFP-tagged um, gut microbacteria, S. alvi? Second test, can they produce double-stranded RNA so it can stimulate RNA interference? Sure can. They were able to see. Um, so they, all they had to do was, unfortunately, they killed the bees, and then they dissected them, and then they tested for RNA in the bees. Uh, yes, they found levels of that, and they, all, they look at gene expression um, to see if RNA is being expressed. And there's different, and then to see if, Test number three, are they up-regulating or down-regulating immune immune, um, genes, uh, genes that are associated with the immune system? So there's a Dicer gene that's associated with RNA interference, and that is actually up-regulated, but it was inconsistent in the preliminary work. Um, but they showed that there was immune, the immune um, system was being stimulated by the increase in uh, double-stranded RNA that was being produced. Are you following me? Um, the immune system was being, being stimulated. Improved. It that, was. That, that's the bottom line out of. What yep. You said, so right? yep, the immune system was being improved, and this was evidenced by increased expression of genes that were a part of the immune system, mm-hmm. the viral antiviral immune system. Yeah. All right. So, what about deformed wing virus? That was test number. Where am I at? Test number three. Maybe number four now. Actually, test number four. Double-stranded, um, sorry, the deformed wing virus. Can we stop that from, um, can we, can we can be survive this virus if they're infected with it? Sure can. They took some of the, the sequence of the genome of de, um, the deformed wing virus, also put it on this plasmid, put it back into the bees, tagged with GFP so they can see what's going on, tagged with, and also have, um, it also had the double-stranded um, RNA being produced on the same plasmid. So they have deformed wing virus, double-stranded RNA, GFP on the same plasmid. 
And they found that, yes, with a specific sequence, they're able to increase the survival of bees despite the infection with deformed wing virus. Finally, can we protect them from varroa mites? Sure can. Took some sequence from the varroa mites. Again, put this on this plasma, then put it into bees. Um, and then they were able to see that the varroa mites fed on the ones that didn't have the control, the control bees that didn't have this plasmid in it. So pretty successful study. They were able to genetically engineer basically the perfect, the perfect gut microflora to put back into bees in order to improve the health of these bees. And like, that's so cool to me because what I... Well, like the obvious jump there is, so when can we be doing this for us? So they need to make this on a grander scale. Oh, you mean for humans? For humans, yeah. See, I'm like, not. I, see, I'm not well versed in RNA interference. I know that we they've used it as well for um to prevent malaria. So mosquitoes transmitting malaria. Um, mm-hmm. they've used the system as well. Really, but this is the first time it's been used on pollinators. Okay, because the, the, to improve the health of pollinators, yeah. Because that's sort of like what I feel like a lot of this stuff leads to in yeah. the long run is like it's probably somewhat simple, uh, you know, in terms of all the different kinds of animals to do it with bees as opposed to humans. But you know what? Let's maybe for the next podcast we can look into what else, whatever else they're doing. But they definitely have used it when it comes to um, the making bacteria, genetically modified bacteria, to stop um, on insects. To, for mosquitoes specifically to stop the spread of malaria. Yeah, that's that's what I know. That's my little amount of information there. Yeah, no, that's cool. I but I mean, that. but also like we sort of do that on a smaller scale. Like you and I will take probiotics to boost our immune systems. And I mean, I knew somebody that when he... So true. He like has to travel all the time to work to like fairly remote places. And he said every time he lands, what he does is he buys and eats um, local yogurt. To get local bacteria. bacteria cultures in his system, yeah, as a way of That's basically smart. protecting himself yeah. against. Well, imagine like, the if you could there. just make that bacteria specific to everything you want to target. Mm-hmm. That's what they did in this case. Yeah, you could have like designer bacteria. That's yeah. just like so they call it. What is it? Symbiont, symbiont, uh, mediated RNA interference. So they genetically modified uh, microflora, basically. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. All right, guys. Is there anything else you want to say about this uh, second article? No, no, no. Because I just feel like I'm going to start going off on like a science fiction <laughs> tangent and just be like, hey, 30 ready. years from now, we'll be able to like edit our genes and take pills to change our eye color and, I don't know, grow wings and get super strong and stuff. So we should probably stop here. I think that's a good place to stop <laughs> as Because well. this, this is not science fiction with Max. It is science with a girl. There you go. <laughs> So I guess join us next time on It's Science with a Girl and definitely and probably a boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and uh, we'll have some references and everything in the show notes. So check it out and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.